Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us your word, that you've implanted it in our hearts, that it may grow, and we pray that it would yield a hundredfold or more. Pray that we would continue to grow and treasure this thing in our hearts. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Please be seated. <clears throat> As somebody was walking in this morning, they asked if I was ready for the storm, and I, I actually really like snow. Um, so if we get, we get snow, I'll be really excited. But I'm also really excited for spring to come. So I wanted to caveat that. I actually really like most all seasons most of the time, except for when we hit about 100 degrees, and then I become a little more unpleasant than normal. But I'm a little, I'm very excited for spring to come, because for the first time, I'm going to be able to plant a garden, and, and I really love the idea of plants and gardens, and my garden could be a disaster, but I'm, I'm very excited about planting it. I've been thinking about it and trying to find good places on our in our yard to put little gardens and, and all of that. And as I've done this, I found we have lots of rocks in our, in our yard, which is an interesting discovery to make, but I'm not terribly upset about this. When, our, when our, my in-laws were visiting, we, we shared this excitement with them. And my father-in-law told the story about when he got really excited to plant a garden. And then he discovered that by giving his yard good soil to grow plants in, he also gave good soil to weeds, and like our story this morning, the weeds grew up and choked out almost everything, and I think he said he got a whomping eight beans out of his garden. <laughs> so my hope is that my garden will be a little better than this, but you never know. We read this morning this parable about gardening, or more exactly, about farming, and all of these things that I've discovered in my garden or I've been warned about gardening are things that this farmer runs into. But before we dive into the parable, we need a little context about what's going on and why this parable is so poignant and why St. Luke puts it at this point in the gospel or his gospel account. Immediately before this in chapter 7, this woman who's called a sinful woman interrupts his dinner with the Pharisees. And she does this wild thing. She starts to cry and wipe his feet and anoints it, his feet, with oil. And the Pharisees say, well, if you're a prophet, Jesus, surely you know how terrible this woman is. He doesn't go, yeah, of course I do, or no, I don't. But he sort of gently but very pointedly rebukes him. And as he goes on, he goes, yes, of course I know how sinful this woman is, but she knows how deeply she's been forgiven. And so she's grateful in other words, those who are aware of how much they've sinned and how, how much they're forgiven are often the most zealous to make known the incredible saving power of God. And he goes on to talk to the, tell this Pharisee, listen, you know what? When I came into this house, you didn't help give me any, any water to wash my feet. His feet would have been dusty from wandering around with his sandals on in the dirt. You didn't give me any oil to care for my head, and yet she's anointing my feet. You didn't do any of these things. You didn't even greet me with a kiss, and yet she's kissing 
my feet. As we read the gospel, we see that there are people that clicks and sees what Jesus is doing because the word has been planted in good soil. And there are those who hear what he says and should recognize who he is and what he's done. And they just kind of stare blankly at him or much, much worse. But as we read this, this section right before, we are reminded that God's word goes out. And it's gone out in that community where the Pharisees invited him in for dinner. And it didn't land where you might have expected it to land. It didn't land with the educated and the religious of the time. But it landed in the heart of this sinful woman. And God's word did not return void. Now, as we dive into it, it might seem odd to us that this farmer's kind of out there just throwing seeds. We're all like, well, that's not how you, you garden. You prepare the soil and you do all these things. But the Middle East is not like America, in case you didn't know that. <clears throat> and in the Middle East, it's actually their practice to sow the seeds. They go out, sow the seeds. And then they go out and, and, and um, toil the, the dirt. And so the seeds then get sort of naturally put into the dirt that way, unlike our process where we plow and then we sow, it's, it's reversed, which is interesting, and it seemed to work for them, but um, that's not how we do it. So, so if you have this image of, of like a tractor going out and toiling, or like when I was a little kid, I always wondered, like, why is this farmer throwing seeds on all these things? And it's because he would do the sowing, and then he'd go out and till that, that dirt instead of the way we do it. And so as they're hearing this, unlike us who need that brief explanation to understand it, all of his readers who would have been in this agrarian culture, if they were not themselves farmers, would have immediately seen this image of their, their neighbor Joe or whatever out sowing these seeds and been like, yeah, I, I recognize that. I know sometimes Joe's seeds land on the ground and they don't last long. The birds come along and pick them up or occasionally a couple land on the rocks and they grow up and they die and, and all that. That makes total sense to them. So this story is familiar to them as they hear it. And he ends with that cry, those who have ears to hear, let him hear. Stories have this role in our lives, and, and I guarantee you, any of you who've been in the church for any amount of time could probably go home and call up your neighbor or your grandchild or your friend and actually tell them almost verbatim this parable, because you've heard it over and over and over again. And stories, in a different way than me getting up and telling you all these things, launch into your, land in your mind in a certain way so that you remember them really vividly. And that's why Jesus uses these stories so they implant. <clears throat> they implant so that we remember how God works. We have this image of these seeds being cast out into the field and then growing up or not growing up. And then if we pay attention to what Jesus says... We remember, oh, that's what that means. And so stories have that power in our lives. And we're reminded again of that fact that the word of God will not return void. But like this farmer, sometimes you must dig. And like the disciples, sometimes you must dig to understand what exactly is going on. And you must allow God to continue to plow your heart that the seed of his word which is planted in it would continue to grow. And that's what the disciples did. They dug. They were confused. They were like, well, that was a neat little story. I mean, I remember when my buddy Bob used to do that when we were kids. He'd go out and help his friends. But why are you telling us about a farmer and seeds and all of that? 
<clears throat> and so they ask what the parable means. They are digging, just as we are called to dig, just as you are called to dig, to seek the truth. And so this role of disciples of digging and seeking is extended to you. It's extended to you that you might know the secrets, or perhaps more ac accurately, the mysteries of the kingdom of God. The crux of that mystery, the crux of what Christ is getting at, is of course that the kingdom of God is at hand. When he was there, it was coming, it was imminent. And then it was ushered in and is here now for you and I at his death, resurrection, and ascension. The kingdom of God is here, for Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. And so the call of Christ to us is that we would repent and believe in this truth. And if you live in the shadow of this truth, the word of God will not return void. Now for us who don't have the luxury of walking with Jesus for three years of our lives and getting to know him in, in the incarnation and in touching him and being with him, how do we make the secret known? And I'm going to give you three Ps, which will come back up again at the end. But they're preach, prayer, preaching, and pastoring. Prayer prepares the soil of our hearts and the hearts of those whom we love. It teaches us obedience to God. And it helps us to learn to tend to the soil and make it good. Preaching is the casting of the seeds, teaching of obedience. It teaches fidelity to his word. And it helps us to, and we learn it through studying his word. Pastoring tends to the garden. It helps God tend to our hearts and pull out those weeds that might choke out the fruit of his word. <clears throat> And then we get this weird comment. Well, why would he want people to see, not see, to see but yet not see, to hear and yet not understand? Remember the context which I brought up, and it maybe you're like, well, that's kind of a weird tangent. Why in the world is he possibly telling us about what happened immediately before this? The Pharisees saw, the Pharisees heard his words, as well as you and I did, but they did not understand. They did not show hospitality the way that the sinful woman did. And so this story condemns them. It says, no, these seeds are being cast out to you. And yet you do not see. You do not understand what I am telling you. You do not see that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You do not know what it means to repent, even though these seeds are cast. And of course, Christ is referring back to something in this moment, he's referring back to Isaiah 6, which has this phrase in it, or, or a very similar version of its phrase, when it does just that. It condemns the hard-hearted, that don't care, that don't follow God's commandments, but rather have hard hearts and avoid repentance. In other words, the meaning of Christ's words are open to anyone who is willing to follow Christ, are open to anyone who is put into Christ, who is empowered by the Holy Spirit to follow him, who have been, who's had their heart of stone replaced with hearts of flesh. And then Christ explains the parable. 
then Christ makes clear to us that that seed, which we know from having heard this, this parable time and time again, is the word of God. As I was reading and preparing for this, one of the commentaries suggested that it means the word that is from God. And I kind of like that better because that gives us that vivid image. The words that flow out of God, that are spelled out for us in God's holy word in scripture. But there's another thing that we're told is the word of God, or more exactly, another person we are told is the word of God. The word of God made incarnate and dwelt among us. In John chapter 1, St. John's first chapter of his gospel, he tells us that the word was with God and the word was God. And eventually he tells us who that word was. It was Christ. So the word that was from God, the word that's sown in this parable and the word that's sown in your hearts is Christ. But there is a tough thing here. There, are bad, there is bad soil. The word is sown and spelt out and sent out. But sometimes it lands and does not grow. <coughs> Excuse me. And there's that hard reality that there are friends and loved ones who we pray for day in and day out, who fall away from Christ or who never accept Christ. And the, so, and the, and the seed just sits there, or is snatched away, as is described in the first part. The seed which lands on the path, the devil comes and takes away. We have bird feeders out at our house, and it's really delightful to watch the birds come in and, and land on them and eat them, eat the seeds. But it's funny to watch them as well, because as they eat, the seeds just kind of fly all over the place. But we're not going to get sunflowers from those seeds, because they've eaten the nutrients out of them. So that's that vivid image that that anybody who's ever watched a bird eat a seed can imagine. The devil just tearing apart it so it's no longer useful. But then there's the rocks. And those that land on the rocks have no root. We were talking about this this morning in Christian education. How we want to build a good foundation now while life is relatively good. Before we're weeping and sorrowful. Because if you build a good foundation in the easy times, when the winds of the world overtake it, when there's hard times, when the flood comes, analogies go on and on, but I won't, I won't belabor it. We have something to hang on to. Our world doesn't turn upside down. But yet, if we don't take the time to do that in the here and now, when testing comes will be like those whose seed landed on the rock and will wither and fall away. And of the thorns, he tells us that it is those who are overcome by the cares of the world. They are overcome by all the things that happen in this world. They are overcome with obsessively thinking about planting their gardens, if you're me. But that does bring up another question. What cares of the world do you struggle with? What cares of the world have overcome you so that you aren't focused on Christ, but you're focused on your worries and your fears? And what of our friend 
that is struggling with this? What of our friend whose roots seem shallow and yet the world around them is pushing them around and it seems too hard for them? Be compassionate to them. Be ready to hear their struggles. Be ready to pray with and for them. Offer to struggle with them. But build your foundation firm. And not... And not just those who struggle as you struggle, but those who struggle differently. Be willing to struggle with them and love them well. And then we get to the good soil. This is the good news. This is where we pray that all of us are. The good soil holds the word close and it bears fruit with patience. In this parable, you are called to do work. But it is God who has already done that work in you. It is God who has reaped the harvest. And so your calling as you hear this, as you pray, let me have good soil in my heart, is to learn to love your neighbor well, regardless of who they are. Learn to love them with the gospel of Christ as the center of who you are. And then the bearing of fruit comes. We are reminded, and why we land again and again on this phrase, the word of God does not return void. It may seem like things are hard. It may seem like things are are difficult. It may seem like you live out the gospel day in and day out. You pray and pray and pray until you weep, and nothing changes. But we are promised that the word of God will not return void. There are different stories of this This in each of the gospel, the one that St. Luke tells, he simply says, a hundredfold will be returned. But it may be a different factor. It may be 30 or 60 or 100. You do not know how much or even sometimes what fruit your life will bear. But by dwelling in and trusting in and living in the grace of God, do not doubt you will bear fruit. I want to end this morning by thinking about what it means to intentionally plant a garden at All Saints. Of course, not a literal garden, though if somebody wants to plant a garden, we can talk. I mean a garden like this garden that we hear about today in our gospel message. It goes back to those three Ps that I mentioned. Prayer, preaching, and pastoring. Prayer is that preparing of the soil. We make a habit of prayer in our lives. Make a habit of praying for your unsaved loved ones and friends. Make a habit of prayer, of taking, of praying for the chance to disciple and evangelize those people, whether by just having coffee with them or reading through the word of God with them, that they may be encouraged. Make a habit of praying for your church, for your brothers and sisters in Christ, that God's word would be preached faithfully and that his word would not return void. Preaching, the casting of the seeds, or perhaps the teaching of the word. I just use these three words because they alliterated and I really like alliteration. But preaching really comes down to that teaching of the word And it's not isolated to just this 20 or so minutes on Sunday morning, but taking every opportunity to teach it. 
Take the opportunity to read the word with those who might be interested. If you're young in Christ, or you feel like you may not know him as well as you might, seek out somebody to disciple you. If you're mature in Christ, be open to reading the word with somebody who might want to know Christ. Actively listen to the sermons here. I really don't get up and talk for 20 or so minutes every week because I like to talk. I get up because I hope and pray that each and every one of you would come to know Christ intimately. So listen actively, and I will do my best to teach you well. Participate in those times where you can learn more of what it means to be in Christ. Pastoring, I really mean by that discipling, tend to your garden and to others' gardens. Rejoice with those who are joyful and mourn with those who are mourning. Show hospitality to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Invite them into your house. Share a meal. Pray with them. Love them well. Care for those who are outside of Christ and need to know the love of Christ. Have a cup of coffee with those who are struggling and listen to them with compassion. Be affectionate and walk with those who are in pain. Prayer. And through prayer, through preaching, through pastoring, the word of God will not return void. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost.